This is Beyond the Coat, the Life of a Physician, a podcast to share the wisdom of experienced physicians to inspire, educate, and enrich the lives of listeners. I'm Maya. I'm Charu. And we are current medical students at the Wright State University Boonshaft School of Medicine in Dayton, Ohio. The opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of the Wright State University Boonshaft School of Medicine or any other organization or university. Please do not use this podcast for medical advice, but instead reach out to your doctor regarding medical concerns. Tonight, we are so excited to have with us on the show Dr. Catherine Conway, a family physician in the Dayton community. She attended our very own Wright State University Boonshaft School of Medicine for her MD degree. She then completed her residency in family medicine at University Hospitals Case Medical Center and her fellowship in academic medicine at Neomed. She also earned her MPH, specializing in global health at Case Western Reserve University during her residency. She's currently Director of Medical Education for the Department of Family Medicine and the Family Medicine Clerkship Director, as well as the Director for the Global Health Scholars Program at Boonshaft. She is a prolific academic physician and has contributed to many papers and presentations advancing medical education and refugee health in the literature. She currently practices at Wright State Physicians, Miami Valley Hospital, and the Global Health Clinic at Five Rivers Family Health Center. In addition to multiple awards, she is also the recipient of the 2020 Ohio Academy of Family Physicians Family Medicine Educator of the Year Award. Congrats on this incredible achievement, Dr. Conway, and thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. So for our first question this afternoon, when you were younger, what did you think about doing with your life? I wanted to be a news reporter like my dad <laughs> um, or an astronaut. Those were my two uh, first loves. Um, my dad was a local news reporter on uh, News Center 8 when we were living in Cleveland. And I pictured myself being an anchor woman one day, uh, getting to read all the prompts and speak in a microphone. Um, I got some fun behind the scenes look at what it was like. Um, my dad was good about trying to get me and my sister in on the action whenever he could. So that looked like a great job to me. Um, and then I transitioned into just absolutely falling in love with space. And um, that really just was kind of the first translation of, you know, what my love for science became and how it evolved into um, love, love for biology and specifically human biology after that. That's awesome. You have such a calming presence. I could totally imagine you on the morning or the evening news just telling us about what's going on in the world. It's so fun. <laughs> so yeah, my, uh, I, I wish I was uh, as good as John Krasinski with some good news. That looks like, <laughs> that looks like the perfect uh, uh, quarantine job to me as well. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. So um, in your answer, you started talking a little bit about um, how you transitioned into this love of medicine. So you said that some of those things sparked your interest in human biology, but specifically what moved you towards the field of medicine? Yes, um, biology classes were my favorite in high school. And we had an opportunity um, during our senior year of high school. I went to an all girls school, Magnificat um, in Cleveland. And during our senior year Genesis project, we had an opportunity to shadow someone in a field of interest. And I got connected to Dr. Brian Clark um, at the Cleveland Clinic um, Medical Genetics Department. I have no idea how I got connected to him. I cannot remember that link, but it was life-changing. And I um, shadowed him and the genetic counselors that he worked with there. 
Um, and that project, which was just a couple of weeks during my senior year, transitioned into um, two different summers of doing um, an unpaid internship with him and his department. Um, and it was where I got to see, you know, physicians and genetic counselors talking to patients, um, as well as doing my first clinical research project in colon cancer genetics. Um, so this was this was an unpaid internship, total volunteer. So I still had to go to work to make some money. Um, and I worked at Joe's Deli up in Cleveland um, for those summers as well. So I was easily working like 14 hour days. Um, but I loved it. I loved getting up early to go to the hospital and work in their department. I looked forward to it every day. Um, the time just flew when I was there and um, really got to see what physicians did with patients as well as what they did behind the scenes and how important their work was and also how multifaceted their work was too. Um, I was totally hooked after that. Wow, that sounds amazing. I mean, you had so many amazing experiences before you even got to medical school. Actually, our next question is, will you share with us what your experiences were like during medical school, like more about your journey and becoming a physician? Yeah, I, I tell my students a lot about some of those uh, first weeks and first months and first years because it's so easy to feel really... Um, overwhelmed and intimidated about the process. Um, the first nine weeks of our first year at Boomshoft was anatomy and anatomy only. <laughs> it was the only thing we did for the first nine weeks of our time together as a class. And it was really hard. And I was barely passing. And I thought, okay, if I can just make it past this one first class, um, you know, I'll be good. I'll be fine. Things will get back to normal. And normal for me was, you know, getting straight A's and, you know, being able to just study enough and then do well. But medical school is not like that. And the next class was really hard too. And all of a sudden I found myself in a situation where I didn't know how to be the student that I thought I was. Um, and so I had to readjust my expectations of myself uh, I had to keep my goals aligned with what was most important, which was not about being the best or the smartest anymore. Um, and I also had to deal with feelings of wanting to quit about on average every two weeks, I think. <laughs> um, I used to call home to my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, and lament at least every two weeks about wanting to quit. Um, if it weren't for you know, his support from a distance and um, the support that I had from my classmates who have turned my forever friends, um, I probably would have quit. It was, it's that hard. It's that intense. And you, uh, for me, it was really important to have um, those strong relationships around me um, and to recognize that they were going through those same feelings, those same experiences too. Um, so that shared experience was really important to keep me going. Um, and then, you know, third year comes and all of a sudden I felt like I was thriving and I hit my stride, you know, being with patients, 
um, was what I came to medical school to do. And it was what I knew I was going to be good at if I could just get there. So I was very grateful that I stuck it through um, those first two years and got to the other side. Um, I was completely caught up in all the humanity around me and felt so lucky to be invited in those sacred spaces. That's really so special. And I think uh, you're, you're describing uh, your description of what it was like going through the first couple of years in medical school is something that I know really resonates with me and I hope will really resonate with a lot of our viewers. So as you've um, moved forward out, out of medical school through residency and then now into the life of an attending, how do you maintain this sense of empathy with, with your patients as well as with yourself? Well, that's such an important question. Um, I think overall I've learned that I just can't make it about me. Um, and, you know, being a physician for me um, is answering a call um, and it's a spiritual call for me um, into a life of service, solidarity, um, advocacy, partnership towards a greater good. I have practiced a lot and continue to learn the art of sitting with my patients in the way where I am fully present and fully aware of their pain and their questions, their fear, their joys and their resiliency. And when you allow yourself to get to know your patient, not just as a sick person, but as a real human being, it's much easier to remain empathic. I think also my own personal journey uh, and life lessons that life has given me um, ex life experiences where I, I have felt very strong, powerful, challenging emotions and feelings. When I take care of those in a healthy way, um, it allows me to tap into those when needed to understand what someone may be going through at any time. Um, that kind of, that common human experience is something that I, that I remind myself of often as I'm sitting with someone. Um, and it, it just, it makes it not just about doing my job as a physician, but my job as a human. Wow, definitely. I, I've always admired your empathy as um, a physician and as you've taught us through the years. And I think that's one of your, one of your biggest aspects that you hold to yourself when you talk about global health. And so my next question is, how did you get involved with global health and how has global health changed your view of what it means to be a family physician? So I was lucky enough to um, be at Boonshoft before it was Boonshoft, <laughs> but I love that it's Boonshoft because um, uh, the Boonshoft family is very, very supportive of global health education. So uh, it, it feels like, you know, the kind of uh, cycle of cycle of life for me as a medical student and now as a global health physician that um, several of my classmates the year ahead of me formed GHI, our global health initiative. Um, so as a fourth year medical student, I got to go on a, a global health elective to Guatemala. And I, again, was totally hooked. It was another life-changing experience that uh, led me down a path I didn't even know I wanted or that I could do. And it, uh, you know, it became something that I knew I wanted to be 
that I would have as part of my my kind of you know life as a physician. It changed my view what it means to be a family doc specifically. You know, when I think about that question, it didn't really change, but it rather reinforced and expanded my understanding of what it means to be a family doc. It showed me the many facets of this field and how our skills are so needed so many places. You know, recently in the past couple years only, um, the WHO and some of the other uh, kind of global health organizations have started talking about whole person care or person-centered care. And they're putting out literature and advertisements and little like educational videos about this concept as something, you know, new and important and exciting. And it's this evolving sentiment, you know, advertised in the global health field. And it's funny to me because it's what family medicine docs just know naturally. It's it's just what we do and how we approach our patients. And so now we're having to teach others how to do it. And so family medicine has a huge seat at the table for global health in terms of teaching others that perspective that just comes so naturally to us. We, we think upstream when we are working with our individual patients uh, already. And family docs already have a special knowledge of the community that they're working within without having to do anything extra or special just by sitting with their individual patients and their family members every day, day in, day out. They understand and know the factors that impact their individual health and well-being. And so, you know, those SDHs, the social determinants of health, were, were once left to the PCP only to address. And so one of the things I get really excited about with teaching global health is being able to teach students who are going to be going into all fields and making them a part of the team that we need now to do a better job of addressing those and recognizing that this is not just the PCP's job, but rather our whole medical community's responsibility. I love how you brought up these topics of um, advocating for others and for how these different physicians all have seats at this huge table that we're all so privileged to be a part of. That leads really well into my next question. Tell us a little bit more about your role as the leader of the COVID-19 task force, how you've collaborated with other physicians and other healthcare providers in the community and how it's influenced your practice. Well, this is what I'm living and breathing right now. <laughs> so some days it feels like uh, I can't think of anything else or you know, what else about my job did I do before COVID? Um, but you know, there were about two weeks in March where it felt like we were all standing at a shore waiting for the tsunami of COVID to hit us. And I know that all of us had this kind of shared powerlessness feeling, you know, amongst me and my colleagues. So I approached my bosses. I have lots of bosses at Boonshaft, <laughs> as most academic physicians do. Um, so I approached my chair, Dr. Bruce Bender, and uh, one of our good leaders of Rice State Physicians, Kim Paul. And I just said, hey, can we get a team of us to meet you know, regularly, maybe weekly to start off with and just start working together on all of this? Because there's just so much, like we just have a million questions and we can't just do this individually siloed in our different departments right now. This, you know, there's too much at stake here. And, you know, immediately, they said, yes, let's do that. And so 
Kim Paul started reaching out to other departments and just, you know, getting people at the table and said, hey, you know, really informally, let's just start meeting together as a team, you know, week by week and see what we need to do and see what we can do together. And early on, it was a lot of just getting to know each other and consensus building, building that team rapport at our, you know, physician organization, right? State Physicians, there's, of course, lots of meetings and lots of uh, leadership going on, but you know, we tended to have our departments kind of, you know, working in silos and, you know, taking care of your own, so to say. And this was a really great opportunity to start taking care of each other as one organization. And, you know, the consensus building and team rapport aspects, these are jobs that I had learned um, along the way, nothing that I had been necessarily formally trained on, but, you know, when you work on clinical research and grant projects, um, when you work on, you know, building a community project and community outreach from scratch, the the skills of that consensus building and team rapport are really important and making everyone feel like they have an important part of the process. Going into meetings, uh, maybe with an agenda, but also having to be open to what other people's concerns are and other people's questions. And then just like you do with individual patients, actually, the skill of prioritizing and um, agreeing on the agenda of the meeting for the day, or like you would with a patient, the agenda of the visit today. Um, there's lots of overlapping skills um, that come from that kind of one-on-one training that we have with patients into these group settings sometimes that I find fun to uh, be able to work on, you know, and it's also, it's easy. It's really, really easy to complain about problems or not liking how your leadership is doing something or, you know, do they even know what they're doing? It's a totally different experience to be at the table and proactively and constructively be working on the problems together. It gives you a different appreciation for the nuances and challenges of leadership and how there's so many things that go into making one decision sometimes. So, you know, and how do you have uncomfortable conversations with lots and lots of different opinions around at the table too. So it was really wonderful practice or putting things, putting practice in place, you know, what, what I've done in little bits and pieces here and there along the way on a really, really important critical nature, you know, of the topic of COVID-19 and making sure not only our physicians, but our nursing staff and medical assistant staff and our front desk staff and our billing staff and all the other super important team members also felt like they were a part of the process and felt like they had a team who got their backs and who, you know, were making decisions quickly and responsibly um, on behalf of them and on behalf of the safety of our patients. Thank you for that wonderful um, insight there. I think it, it goes without saying that in this time of uncertainty that what you are doing and what your colleagues are doing is just another example of your incredible re- resiliency and also your incredible leadership. And I think as students, as medical students, it brings us comfort to know that our faculty members like yourself are working so hard to make sure that we are protected in the hospitals as well as are protecting our future patients. So for my next question, um, Maya and I have two sets of questions that we love to ask each of our guests on the show. So the first question is, how would you like to be remembered as a physician? Um, a good one? 
you know, who's doing the remembering, right? So hopefully it's, you know, as a physician, well, you know, because I wear so many hats, um, you know, that question, I guess, is is funny for me because of how I work with students and residents um, in terms of that space of physician in training, you know, um, but at the same time, again, you know, uh, how are my patients seeing me as a physician, right, is absolutely critical too. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of joke, I say a good one, but not a perfect one. For me, it's becoming more and more important that uh, people see me, both my patients and my students and my residents see me as uh, someone who is still growing, um, still evolving, still learning, still getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, and at the same time, being more and more comfortable in my own skin. So part of that journey is knowing that you're going to make mistakes, knowing that you're not supposed to know everything, but how you handle that and what you do with that unknown, I think really is what I would like to be remembered for. And, and hopefully, you know, doing it with some grace and self-compassion and therefore spreading that to, to you guys and to others who need it in those moments of self-doubt and fear that we all have in this space. Firsthand, I can definitely say you've definitely spread some of that confidence and empathy and overwhelming feeling of goodness to me. So thank you very much. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I hope to do it some more. <laughs> For your medical students listening to this now and maybe even years from now, uh, what additional wisdom would you like, like to pass on to them? And what else would you like them to know? So many fun life lessons along the way. You know, sometimes the best questions to say is to, is to kind of flip that back and say, you know, to whoever you're talking to, what, you know, what is it that you think when you ask that question, you know, what comes to mind? But uh, if I, if someone asked me that question just out of the blue, you know, one of the first things that pops in my mind is um, remember that your job is not to please everybody all the time. <laughs> um, physicians and, you know, physician and trainings, we're, we're people pleasers naturally. It's kind of part of our DNA, right? That's, it's part of what draws us to this career. But if you're doing your job right uh, or well, not just right, but well, you, you may, you know, you may even make some people uncomfortable or upset sometimes because you're learning to set some good healthy boundaries or you're telling people something that they need to hear for themselves that, that maybe they aren't ready to hear yet. And by building relationships built on, you know, vulnerability of yourself and being willing to share, you know, your true authentic genuine self with people then those kind of difficult conversations or uncomfortable conversations and those boundaries, even if someone is quote, not happy with you in the moment, it's, it's, it's going to get the two of you to the, to the next best step and a better place than you would have um, otherwise been. So I've, I've had to learn that lesson the hard way. <laughs> and so that would be something that I would probably have more conversations about with people is to not be such a people pleaser all the time and to really remember um, to keep looking inward are, are you pleasing yourself? Are you taking care of yourself? Not in a selfish way, but in the way that yourself needs you to take care of yourself so that you can care for others. And 
you know, overall, you just, you have to stay true to who you are, but you have to be willing to explore new versions of yourself that you may not even know about yet, that you, uh, that will be a critical part of who you are in your future. So stay open. Thank you for that insight. Yes, I agree. The the constant need for reflection, you know, every moment making sure to reflect is very important for medical students. And one I've also tried to do at many times during the first year or second year, and even now as I start third year. So as we're ending our evening today, one of the ways we like to end the show with physicians we've worked with is by turning the tables. So in this, Maya and I would now like to take a few moments to share how you've so positively impacted us during medical school. So I will start. Oh this. gosh, <laughs> oh, I need some, I'm probably going to need some tissues. You guys didn't warn me about this part. <laughs> no, this is always a surprise. And we love doing this part because it's our <laughs> moment to say thank you. So I will oh, go my first and I'll have Maya end this. Um, so I'll start. In my first year, I had the incredible opportunity to have you as my preceptor for physical exam skills. Your guidance through clinical medicine was certainly very comforting to me as a very new and very nervous medical student. I'm so grateful that I was able to learn from you throughout first and second years, especially in the Global Health Scholars Program. Your passion for minority and refugee health is truly amazing and something I continue to admire and something I will always carry with me as I embark on my own journey and figuring out how I want to make an impact in global health. I'm so eagerly waiting and looking forward to working with you this year in clerkships. So thank you, Dr. Conway, for what you've done for me personally. Thank you, Charu. So Dr. Conway, when asked to think of just one way that you impacted my life and my time in medical school, I really just can't. From the beginning, you've just, you've done so much. From the beginning, you supported my love of continuity of care and of building relationships by um, introducing me to and helping me through the summer precept preceptor program, the AHEC program during the summers between my first and second years of medical school. Your intelligent and calming presence was truly so wonderful when I rotated through Wright State Physicians during my family medicine clerkship my third year, and I had the incredible opportunity to work with you. Your confidence in me was one of the most powerful interactions I've had during my third year. It helped me grow in my own self-confidence and really begin believing in myself and my abilities to do so much more. You've always been so supportive of all of your students. You never hold their hand through their challenging times, but you walk alongside them as they make these decisions that shape their own path in medicine. You so thoughtfully practice reflective, motivational interviewing as a means of better connecting with your patients and you constantly create a loving environment for your patients where everyone feels safe and validated and important. This beautiful and compassionate ability of yours has undoubtedly impacted me and is something I hope to continue learning from as I continue on in my journey this year and beyond. So Dr. Conway, thank you so much for sharing part of your journey with us today. I've been waiting to ask you some of these questions for a while now, and I'm grateful you allowed us the opportunity to interview you and talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, I wish you could see my like my smile from ear to ear <laughs> right now. <laughs> wow, you guys just made my day, you know, in these in these COVID times. It's really ooh, it's really heavy and exhausting. So this was truly uplifting and such a, a positive experience. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Conway.